school nutrition is now, I mean, it's almost as complicated as the tax code. There's so many rules and regulations. It's unbelievable. You you wouldn't guess as an outsider, you wouldn't guess it was that hard to just feed kids, right? And many of us, we got into this field because we just love, you know, seeing the kid's face light up when they try broccoli or bok choy. And we're not in it because we want to read, you know, a 50-page manual about offer versus serve. Welcome to the School Meal Marketing Podcast, produced by Dunk Take Marketing. I'm your host and chief dunker, Dave Palmer. For more than a decade, we've worked with school nutrition programs to boost participation, engagement, and awareness with students, staff, and families. We've learned a ton and met some amazing people whose stories we want to share, along with some tips, insights, and lessons we've learned about how to change the face of school nutrition. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and even how we can help you or your district, visit us at dunktankmarketing.com and look for the School Nutrition tab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Some five-star reviews would also help if you're so inclined. On this episode, I am thrilled to be joined by Jennifer McNeil, founder of Lunch Assist, and one of the most inspiring and uplifting people I've met in the world of school nutrition. Lunch Assist is an invaluable resource for hundreds of school nutrition programs, empowering directors, supervisors, and frontline staff alike with resources that make things like training and compliance easier and more meaningful. That, in turn, empowers teams to give more focus to the children and families they serve. Jen and I recorded this episode at the California School Nutrition Conference in Palm Springs in late October 2023. Our initial plan was to be very Southern Californian and record it poolside, but the background music was a bit much, so we just found a quiet spot outside the convention center and had a great talk. You'll also hear us talk about the California Farm to School Conference, which was held just before the California School Nutrition Conference. And those events back-to-back made for an incredible week of learning, being inspired, and connecting with amazing people. Huge thanks to Jennifer for making time for this conversation that I'm sure you'll enjoy. And it starts right now. Thank you so much for doing this. This is fun. I follow what you guys do at Lunch Assist, and it's inspiring, and it's always fascinating, and we kind of know each other and have interacted with things, but it's thank you for making time to do it. Oh, absolutely. Happy to be here. Give me the overview of Lunch Assist, kind of what you do, how it started, and we'll get into lots more stuff, but give me the, the backstory. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm Jen. I'm the founder and CEO of Lunch Assist. And Lunch Assist is, if I had to describe it, it's Lunch Assist is what I wish I had when I was a director. So as you know, I was a director down in Encinitas School District, and I also worked at Hemet Unified. And we had a really robust farm to school program in both of those districts and scratch cooking. And that's like my heart. <laughs> that's yeah. where my heart is in school nutrition. But There are so many rules and regulations and red tape, audits, things like that, that really, I think, take up a lot of the mental space that directors need to focus on farm to school and scratch cooking and taking care of their team. And so what we do at Lunch Assist is we try to solve a lot of those problems that directors face in terms of compliance, program regulations, auditing, and the stuff that really takes them away from why they got into this job in the first place, which is to feed kids. And so everything we do is just helping school nutrition directors save their time and energy 
so that they can spend it where it matters most, which is on feeding kids. I would imagine, like when you started off, how daunting or overwhelming were those, the, all of the regulations and things that you had to work on with compliance? What was that like? Yeah, well, you know what's interesting is I started in 2010, and it was a little different back then because it was right before the rollout of the Healthy Hunger Freeze Kids Act, which right. overall has been amazing for our programs, right? Like having more whole grains and fruits and vegetables and even a little bit of extra funding for our programs over the years. But there's a lot more regulations. And school nutrition is now, I mean, it's almost as complicated as the tax code. There's so many rules and regulations. It's unbelievable. You wouldn't guess as an outsider, you wouldn't guess it was that hard to just feed kids, right? And many of us, we got into this field because we just love seeing the kids' face light up when they try broccoli or bok choy. And we're not in it because we want to read, you know, a 50-page manual about offer versus serve. So what we do at Lunch is we really just try to give the cliff notes version or the one, two, three, here's what you need to know and get on with your day to keep feeding kids. And that's the kind of stuff I really wish I had when I was a director because it was very difficult to go through all the program changes that came about in 2012 with the Healthy Younger Free Kids Act and right. understand and work through new regulations. And I learned a lot through that process, but I also know how difficult it is to manage program operations while also trying to understand the regulations for the first time. Right. So you're really trying to help streamline that process and cut through some of the, I mean, regulations have language that has to be there, but at the same time, there's a succinct way of saying that if you can take the time to get through it and you're taking, you and your team take the time to go through that to help people make that a faster. Absolutely. Experience. It's actually harder to say something in a concise way than to be verbose about it. Sure. And of course, USDA and, you know, the state agencies, they have to put a lot into these program regulations, but a lot of times it can be distilled into three bullet points of here's what you need to know. Yeah. And that's what we're always seeking is to say, you know, here's what at least 99% of the people need to know because we understand the operations. Right. Our team is made up of former directors and former auditors. So we've seen a lot of programs and we understand how things get practically implemented. Mm -hmm. And, you know, directors, they can go read all the regulations if they want. But most of the time, what they really want is to just know, what do I need to do? Just tell me. Just tell me what I need to do so I can get right. on with my day and, like, not be stressed out about compliance. Right, right. What are some of the things that you find with your clients that they maybe initially are more overwhelmed by or they're not really sure that you're really able to help them kind of get through? Yeah, you know, I just got out of, you know, we're here sitting at California School Nutrition Association yeah. Conference, and we just got out of a two-part educational session on the administrative review. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that people get stressed out about. You often hear programs that say, like, I'm not going to make any changes to my menu this year because I'm under audit. We don't want that, right? right? We want them to, first of all, just always feel that peace of mind that they're audit ready. But even if they're going through an administrative review, understand how they can just kind of go about their business and not have to stress out about the review. Right. So, yeah, I think a lot of times people are worried because the state does these audits of the programs and there's fiscal repercussions. And, you know, no one wants to be in the newspaper. No one wants to be get in trouble with their boss because they got a fiscal finding on their audit. And right. so we try to do work that helps them streamline that process and make sure that they can go through a review or any challenge they face, really, and go through it as seamlessly as possible with as little time invested into this stuff that just kind of bogs them down otherwise. Right, right. 
is it almost like here's what you need to prep to be ready for and then once you get that done you're ready. You can go change your menu. You can do it. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. We literally have a course <laughs> called the AR Bootcamp, which is something that I kind of have created after I've been through hundreds of audits for the past seven years. And then I have a team of former auditors as well from different states that work on my team now. And so we created this course and it's just short and sweet videos, five minutes long. There's about 20 videos on different parts of the review. And it's like literally five minutes, like, here's what you need to know about the portion. Here's the documentation. Here's an answer key. This is what the auditor is going to ask you. And this is how you need to answer it. Of course, change it to make sure it reflects your program. But again, that's what people really just want to know how to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to have to think too hard about it. We already have to think very hard about things like, what to do about staff who don't get along or a (laughs) parent complaint or a student with severe needs that we're supporting with a special diet. That stuff is where we need to be spending our brain power, not on what is this auditor asking me and how do I answer this question just so I can get on with my day. Right, right. So other trainings that you have, I know you do the civil rights, which is a compliance every year, but really one of the things that I've seen in the resources, you try and really get beyond, we're not just checking the box that we did this, but mm. there's a deeper understanding of why this is important and what we're really trying to get at. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So glad you brought up the civil rights training. <laughs> that was, we number our trainings and civil rights is number one. That is the very first training that we put out there when we started creating training videos. And it's just 15 minutes. Civil rights is something that all schools get training on. Every school nutrition professional gets training on every year. But most of the time, historically, it had been training that was created by the state. And it was very boring. (laughs) Um, And it was very much about the Code of Federal Regulations and stuff that is just like, you know, you're almost falling asleep listening to this training. But we made this training in 2020. We just felt it was very, very important, especially at that moment in time, to talk about civil rights, actually, and what's going on in our country and the history of the civil rights movement and why it actually is important. It's not just ticking a box and saying, yeah, we did civil rights training, but it's taking, you know, at least 15 minutes in our year to reflect on our duty and responsibility to honor civil rights in our program through every student that we serve. Right, right. And how that really translates across staff, obviously, to every student, to their families, and how they are able to be honored and, and respected and served appropriately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of our programs are doing really important work at the intersection of food and social justice and even land sovereignty. Mm-hmm. And we work within food systems that are historically, and the reality is that we work in food systems that are not just. Mm-hmm. And There is a lot of work that we can do within school nutrition and many directors are doing to move the needle forward and work towards more a more equitable food system. And we want to be part of that conversation and support that work, too. Awesome. What other trainings do you have? I've got a whole bunch of other stuff that I want to ask you, too. But in terms of all the different things that you're doing, what else are you helping to equip people with and making their lives easier? Yeah, we have a whole platform. So we have a learning management system that tracks training for schools to be in compliance with their professional standards tracking requirements. That's something that schools have to have a report every year of how much training staff had, and they all have to have between four and 12 hours of training. And so we have over 50 videos on our website, and they're all five to 15 minutes long. They're like short and sweet. We do culinary training. We partner with Brigade. 
They are one of our favorite organizations. They do really great work in culinary space and school kitchens with Chef Dan Juicy. And so we have some culinary skills trainings. We have a trauma-informed cafeterias training, which is really unique to our platform. We also have some trainings on the other compliance areas that we need to learn about meal pattern, offer versus serve, some of the basic stuff, cultural humility, special diets. And we're always creating new trainings, too. So our dream is to have about 200 five to 15 minute videos that touch on every topic in school nutrition. And it's really meant to support the work that school nutrition directors are doing, not to replace in-person learning, but to support it so that if a school nutrition director goes out to a site and sees that, oh, they need to improve upon this area, or I really want to expose my staff to this concept, they can support that through a training video that we offer in English and Spanish. And then right. then they can build upon that through other in-person work that they're doing. Gotcha. One of the things that I think we've talked about in the past a little bit is helping staffs build capacity, mm. right? And I'm guessing that you probably, I mean, you have a wide range of directors coming to you. Some just, you know, help me, help me, help me. And some saying, how do we, like, I want to change a lot. Mm. How do we do that? What is the speed of change? And so I'm just wondering what sort of insight you see in best practices for people to build capacity with themselves and with their teams as they're trying to enact some change. Because once you save them all their time, then they can do a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, what do they do with all that time? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like nutrition directors have a lot. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> they're some of the busiest people I've ever met. For sure. Yeah. So it's interesting because everyone is so different and yeah. where they're coming from, what program they operate. I mean, if you've been in one school, you've been in one school. They're all different. Also, you know, just as, as human nature, we're all different. We all have different interests, things that we're coming from experiences. And so we work with a lot of new directors, but we also work with a lot of veteran seasoned school nutrition directors as well. We partner very well with chefs because we're mostly dietitians. So I think (laughs) chefs and dietitians just make the perfect match because we have very opposing but complementary skill sets. And we just try to meet people where they're at and take a client-centered approach. And sometimes the change is something that happens more slowly, but sometimes it's rapid. And that's really driven by the client and, you know, that person in the school district and what their comfort level is. And we try to be this support and more of a guide. School lunch heroes are out there doing the hard work. And we're here to support and to guide them through these processes and to uplift that work that they're doing by helping them make connections and get access to the information that they need so that they can just action and take those steps and strides and bring their programs to the point where they want them and take them to the next level. I wanted to ask about when we're talking about compliance, because that is not an area in which I am overly well-versed. Oh, come on, Dave. Compliance. It's so sexy. (laughs) I just love reading those briefs late at night. No, With Universal Meals, obviously in California we have that, but there are, I think, seven or eight states that have put that into into their laws, and so that that is growing. What do you see happening with Universal Meals and its ability? Does it change the compliance at all? But then also, are there things that you hear from directors saying, what do we do now that, like, free should be great, but it doesn't always work that way? Oh, there's definitely unintended consequences of any policy, right? Even something amazing like Universal Meals, we're starting to notice a couple things that don't impact everyone, but that may be unintended consequences that we just need to be aware of. 
And yeah, I think there's about, like you said, seven or eight, maybe it's eight states so. as of this recording. That yeah, And yeah. it's it keeps growing, which is amazing. And yes. I, I hope there's a future where it's all states and, and all of our territories that offer the school nutrition program can offer it at no cost. But yeah, there's definitely a lot of, you know, in California specifically, even though all meals are free, unless a school's on a provision like community eligibility provision, CEP or provision two, they still have to collect meal applications from parents and apply for free or reduced priced meals, even though they're not going to pay for meals, which is a little bit of a mind bending truth (laughs) (laughs) and something that's very difficult to communicate to families. And so, yeah, it's interesting to especially speaking with you from a marketing perspective, right? How do you communicate that message with families and help them understand that, hey, we still need to collect data on your household income, even at provision sites for California's local control funding formula, which is how, you know, a lot of school funding is determined still based on this income. But yeah, there's got to be a better way, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And to tie it to the nutrition program is a strange thing because so many nutrition programs are, I mean, they're part of the district, but they operate a separate budget. They operate a separate ecosystem in a lot of ways that impacts the whole system. But when you're talking about broader district funding that relies on this one department, there is a real disconnect there and it's hard to message everybody eats, but but we need this form. (laughs) And a lot of that is we, for me, it's our school's still have access to programs based on the information. And so it helps us if you can give us that information. It's really Mm -hmm. not like, fill this out now. You can't pound that over. But And there are people who don't trust those forms too. And so how do you you get that? And There's a lot of confusion out there about it. And it's a very difficult message to communicate. And it's also just a lot of administrative red tape. Mm -hmm. And we're spinning a lot of wheels to collect data that is potentially available other places, like through state matching and direct certification, but even potentially the expansion of that through other programs. Like the fact that this is coming down to the school nutrition program, which has free meals for all, it really doesn't make sense. (laughs) No, no, I agree. How long has Lunch Assist been going on now? So Lunch Assist started in 2016. 16, okay. What things since then have you seen that sort of encourage you the most? And what are the things that you, looking ahead into the the next several years of school nutrition, give you a little bit of pause of, hmm, we should keep an eye out for this? So also happening this week is was the Farm to School Conference, which yes, both of you, you and I were both at. And oh my gosh, that's got to be the thing I'm most encouraged about. I have been part of the Farm to School movement since 2010, but I first heard about it as a student at Cal Poly working in public health. I was an AmeriCorps service member and got to work with some nutrition directors and learn about Farm to School, I guess, in 2008. And it's pretty amazing to see And I know it's been around longer even since before then, but just to see the growth and all the support, especially, you know, with having support of our first partner and a lot of the funding that has been from USDA funding, which we're part of big USDA Healthy School Meals Incentive Grant through Boise State. And then there's grants from the California Department of Food and Ag. I just think farm to school, it's so good for so many reasons when we talk about climate awareness and climate change and, you know, sustainability and supporting our local economies and teaching our kids about where their food comes from and food sovereignty and land sovereignty. Like, it's just that 
event, the California Department of Food and Ag Farm to School Conference, I felt like that was my heart, like just right there. If you could put it into into one event, (laughs) that was it. So great job to the CDFA team. And yeah, I just just crushed that. It was beautiful, beautiful event. My heart is full from that event. And I just am so hopeful that we'll see even more expansion of farm to school and that that will continue to blossom. Things that get kind of have your like, oh, my antenna's up to be to watch out for little, you know, road bumps or things like that. Anything come to mind? I'm totally putting you on the spot. Yeah, (laughs) no, for sure. There is definitely, you know, I think there's two big threats to our program. And I would say number one is the amount like the myriad of regulation that we live in. It's a highly, highly regulated space. And I I think that much of that, some of it is warranted, right? Because it we're it's a taxpayer dollar supported program. We sure. need to have some oversight. But when it gets to the level that people really struggle to understand what to do, and not that everyone does, but it is a struggle to understand and read through and sift through all the program regulations and the amount of regulations in our program just keeps expanding. I mean, it's job security for us in one way. Like, that shouldn't be the case, right? That's part of what we're working hard to combat, and we are filling a need, but it just keeps expanding. There just keeps being more and more program regulations. And especially in the state of California, we have a lot of, we have four former auditors on our team from the state of Montana and Colorado, and there is not nearly the same level of regulation. We have so much additional regulation on the school nutrition program in California specifically. So right. it's a very different job being a school nutrition director in California And it's hard everywhere because there's a lot of USDA regulation, Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of state-specific regulations. And I think to that end, the second thing is looking at a lot of this regulation is tied to additional funding, which we're very privileged to have in California and I'm very grateful for. And, you know, if that's the price we pay, that's the price we pay because we have extra funding, which is, is very, you know, is very good. But I think we need to keep an eye out on that to make sure that the bottom doesn't fall out. And we... Right, right. Our schools are getting a lot of additional funding right now for the school nutrition program, and we'd like to make sure that continues because it's very needed. For the first time ever, schools are able to afford the food that they really want to serve and good quality local organic food on the school menus, and that's what we all want to see. But we want to make sure that a lot of this funding is sustained and that we don't lose it and have to reverse course. Yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody last week on a a similar topic, not about school nutrition, but regulations and the sort of there's, there's a positive intent behind them. We want safety. We want accountability, you know, these sorts of things. But at what point does the rule become the thing to follow regardless, as opposed to the meaning behind the rule? And how do we say, what are we really trying to achieve by this? And can we write regulations that are guidelines as opposed to hard and fast. I mean, some things are hard and fast, obviously, like raw meat. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that, yeah. that's right, kitchen safety, that sort of thing. But I mean, there are certain things in there where it's like, what is the real intent behind this? And it's a positive, it's a well-meaning intent, but how do we make the intent the focus of what we're doing and not the rule to enforce an intent? Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that, I think you're right, a lot of this comes from positive intent, but I think a lot of the issue is that we don't have, and this is probably true of much of rulemaking in general, (laughs) is that the population that is impacted and that is supposed to implement these rules and that really understands the nuance of the space is often absent at the table. 
And we need a seat at the table, you know, school nutrition directors, former directors, people who have ever just even stepped foot in the kitchen need a seat at the table because a lot of this rulemaking happens from people who have really never worked in a school kitchen. What keeps you motivated and inspired with things? Every time I've talked with you, the few times we've talked, I'm like, Jen's on fire. Like, you're you're ready to go and, and have such good cheer and, and gratefulness about this. But what keeps you and your team kind of going? Are there, like... Oh, gosh. Well, thank you. I'm glad <laughs> I am, like, um, having some positive energy out there in the world. You know, I think I'm an empath, and so I get a lot of that energy from the people that I work with. Yeah. I absolutely love school nutrition directors and dietitians and chefs and frontline staff and everyone who works in this space. Everyone's heart is just in the right place. And people are, you know, what's better to feed kids? Like, you know, <laughs> as a mom of a nearly three-year-old, I just, I know how difficult it is, but also how great it is when yeah. she like eats the food that I cook and we put love into it. And yeah, I just, I love school nutrition and it's been something that I knew from the very beginning when I first stepped into Vista Unified and interned with Amy Hazley. <laughs> I know, so lucky yeah, I got to Amy. go be an intern. I had been at the VA internship in San Diego and got to spend a couple of weeks with Amy as an intern and was like, oh man, this is my calling. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a job. I did not know this was a job. Like, I knew a little bit about school nutrition, but I didn't realize it was a career path for dietitians until I got to spend some time in my internship. And I've just been in love with the field ever since. It's so rewarding. And yeah, when I get to go out to school and see kids, that really fills my cup. But also working with school nutrition directors, that's really where I think I've found my purpose is to serve those who serve and to be that support for them. And I think we're a really unique organization in that sense that we focus exclusively on school nutrition professionals. And yeah, it just really is such a special space to be in. So if people want to know more, they want to learn about Lunch Assist and everything that you're doing and helping people with, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love for people to reach out. We always are happy to have a chat. We have a weekly newsletter. So people can come to our website, lunchassist.org, and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. It's very brief. It's a labor of love. We put it out every week, and it's just kind of like updates, news, tips, and tricks, everything that's new about school nutrition in like three bullet points. <laughs> so very it short and sweet. gloriously brief. And like, I mean, that's a fantastic thing. You can skim it. You know exactly what you're supposed to get, and then you can dig in deeper Yeah, everything else you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And we have like links to external resources, and we have... Lunch Assist Pro, which is a membership where people can access resources and training. It's kind of like all in one place, all mm. the different resources that you might Google and try to find, you know, something. We've got it just in one place on our website. Yeah. And yeah, we do consulting as well with school districts in California. Yeah. And but yeah, like I said, we're always happy to have a chat with people. We love connecting and just chatting with school nutrition directors. We also host webinars from time mm. to time. So the best place to get started is really to sign up for our newsletter or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. There you go. Cool. Anything else you want to? Oh, I just want to thank you so much for uh, the chance to connect. And I've always admired your work ever since I was a director (laughs) in San Diego County. And Vista was my neighboring district and you did a lot of great work with them. And you're doing amazing things in this space. So thank you so much for working with our schools and helping communicate the message to parents and to students about how healthy and wonderful school meal programs are and how hard the people work to feed kids. And, they do. Yeah. The, the impact 
of that, whether it's your frontline person serving or whatever, but the impact that they have on kids. I've told plenty of stories about my high school lunch lady, Mom Martin, and I mean, I still remember it now. And and that's a, a unique space in a school environment that kids can get a whole lot more from in addition to, to food. So Oh, absolutely. Well, thanks again so much. It's awesome to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Dave. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jennifer McNeil from Lunch Assist. She and her team do amazing work that helps so many school nutrition professionals to build and level up their skills in ways that are empowering and encouraging. Go subscribe to their newsletter at lunchassist.org today and learn more. Also, if you wouldn't mind, please consider subscribing to this show and leaving us a five-star review. That helps other people find this podcast. And if you need help marketing your school nutrition program, visit dunktankmarketing.com and set up a free no-obligation consultation call to see how you can level up your marketing today. Thanks for listening. Be on the lookout for more from the School Meal Marketing Podcast from Dunk Tank Marketing.